Welcome everybody to the November the 4th or maybe the 5th, not always knowing the right date, edition of the Foot Guns podcast. This is Boomer, the global macro discretionary trader, joined by crypto bond villain extraordinaire Hal 69K, out now Hal of Badger Dow. Um, and we're going to talk today about whether or not you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life for simply participating in DeFi. So a lot of podcasts would take a lot of time to tease this out and get all the runway they can out of it. And we'll definitely go into some of the details. But when I got messaged about this last night and it was linked to an article and, you know, Discord displays the preview of the link. And there was a, um, uh, a JPEG associated with the IRS. It's important that people know that there are 2,000 criminal investigative people at the IRS to serve 350 million people or however many people live in the United States. So the odds that you're ever going to meet one of those people are low, even if you're a baddie. The number of people who will actually knock on your door and have guns is around 200. So the odds that you're ever going to meet one of those people are pretty, pretty low. So I could pass all kinds of crazy legislation that would cause people to violate in a felonious manner anything, but that's step one. Step two has to be enforcement. As is currently configured, there's no way that a law enforcement agency with about 200 individuals could knock down the door, so to speak, of all the people currently using DeFi in the United States. Additionally, prison capacity is at max anyway, so we would have to construct entirely new prisons. So Congress knows that. Presumably the people who know that drafted this bill. I mean, people who work on bills have master's degrees in public policy, they have PhDs, they have law degrees, they are, um, you know, staffs to the committees, they are extremely knowledgeable people. And designing legislation, for people who are into DeFi, just to let you know, designing legislation is a lot like writing code, and there's a reason why it's called legislative code, and there's a reason why it's called computer code. A lot of what these guys spend their time on is closing the loop. It is debugging the system. So if they have a particular intent, just like when you're designing a program, um, they create a draft of it and they sort of beta test it. And they, uh, in particular, look for foot guns, like things that would result in all DeFi users being classified as felons. Um, so that's one of the reasons it's so incredibly unclear given the language that is purported to be in this version of the bill, which by the way, hasn't passed that would, you know, that professor at uh, UVA who I know in real life makes a pretty persuasive case could be used to apply to any individual. That specific provision that we're talking about, is um we'll get to the history of it in a second but it is that you have to give the information issue a 1099 as a form 83 or something that 
you know the identity of the sender of more than $10,000 worth of stuff, be it cash, be it digital assets, be it whatever. And you need to notify the, the government. Banks already do this. And that's why there's a key provision in, in that the, the, the language that says you need to go do this as an individual unless a regulated financial institution is already doing this for you. So that's why things in like Coinbase would never be interrupted because they knew they know who the identity they've got a, uh, a regulated feature where they know the identity of whoever's participating is. The question is, what do you do about people who are not on Coinbase? What do you do about people who um, don't use traditional financial institutions? And it comes down to about sort of eight words about uh, you know anyone who who does something over ten thousand dollars in uh, as an individual or in trade um, is subject to if they don't report the you know name then then you have to go to another piece of legislation the Bank Secrecy Act um, that requires you to uh, identify the sender of over ten thousand dollars their social security number their address, all this other identifying characteristics. So let's just stop there, say what it is, and then go back and talk about how we got here and what who might have put this provision in. What, why is this a good thing or a bad thing? Um, let's just, just go back to the very, very, very beginning. So how 69K, if... The government of the United States of America wants information. Again, they don't want your information. They want you to provide information about the sender. You're the recipient, but the sender. They want you as the recipient to provide information as the identity of the sender um, in transactions over $10,000. Why would that benefit the government? Yeah, I mean that's that's KYC, right? I guess that's a, they can make sure nobody's misbehaving. Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. The the this all comes out of the Bank Secrecy Act. This is in the seventies. There have been several constitutional challenges to this, and um, it is it is really a, a vesicle wing, if you will, of the war on drugs. So back in cocaine mania, um, people in everywhere, but mostly in South Florida, were doing things like showing up and buying Rolls Royces in all cash. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. Who are these people? Um, it's obvious that, you know, they're not traditionally banked. They're showing up in hordes of cash. So that's what gets this started. So they realize, well, we're not, we're going to put a requirement on, say, a car dealership, that Rolls Royce dealership. We're going to say that Rolls, Rolls Royce dealership, you know, you need to tell us who's buying this stuff. You, as an individual, have a duty to report, you know, maybe state tax. I mean, you got to get license place tags and all that kind of stuff. But this was a, a weapon used against massive sort of cocaine people 
so that you can now have another tool to figure out who these people were. Because when they went to banks, they had to identify themselves to open up a bank account. And um, it's kind of like the, the legalized weed problem. I mean, weed is federally uh, still illegal. And um, it's legal in Colorado. Now, we haven't seen any enforcement actions on the part of the Department of Justice. The Trump administration actually reversed that policy in 1998 and wanted to take the DOJ and use resources to fight marijuana. But one of the things it's created is this cash-rich culture in Colorado because banks are federally regulated. And we looked at, I've looked at buying like a, a weed business before, and they all have armored truck costs. Because they can't deposit their money in a federally regulated financial institution because it's illegal money. So they have to have a bunch of cash. And so um, it's kind of sort of similar situation sort of sort of here. That would be the best case as to why this is a needed thing. That the government has, has an interest in tracking down people who are baddies. The question is, why put the burden on a DeFi trader to identify a, and particularly in a permissionless, and to clarify to anyone who not understand what permissionless means, it means that, you know, I can send money to your, I can wire money into your, or send money into your Ethereum wallet if I have the address. I can't take it out. But if I, I can send money into your, your address, I can automate that function uh, without your knowledge, right? Yeah, you're right. And I think, I mean, I, I think the intention is right because like, for instance, there's all kinds of like robbery, you know, hear about all, especially if you, if you're a foot gun subscriber, then hear about all the time, all these protocols getting hacked um, and that sort of thing. So there's already this like policing that's going on inside of DeFi naturally. But I think where the, where the legislation like has got it wrong is they, you know, you, you do have these big organizations forming now like DAOs and then, you know, Coinbase, FTX, blah, blah. So the, I feel like the legislation should just be like clearly focused on those people who are, ha are, are big players that have tons of customers. Like, you know, they could, they could do some work um, to make sure well, they're already, they're already exempted under the, under this law, they're already exempted. This is a totally new provision. That's what makes it so weird. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's like it doesn't make any sense to me because it. I mean, it's certainly it. It's um, you know what the Bitcoiners call FUD, with you know fear, uncertainty, and doubt, just trying to uh, make everybody scared. Well, there is a case in you know the the the, the lecturer from the University of Virginia. He's a very competent guy. He's also getting paid by the Proof of Stake Alliance. So he's a bit of a lobbyist. And so he's he's taking certain hypotheticals and playing them out. But as I looked at it, that's exactly what you do. That's how you read code. He took the code apart properly. But I'll just notice one thing about code. It's almost, it's exactly like, you can make an analogy. You don't have to be a lawyer. Um, I did go to law school, but you don't have to be a lawyer to read code um, and if you know anything about computer code, that code does not become real until it's used. Meaning there are, if Congress passes a law, it doesn't really become a law until some people start following it. 
if it's a punitive type measure, someone gets punished by it, or C, someone who has standing. That's very important. If you don't like a law, but you haven't been negatively impacted by it, the courts will not hear your case because you have not been negatively impacted. You have to have what's called standing. So there has to be somebody with standing. In other words, an IRS agent or some other agent of the federal government needs to knock down your door, haul your ass off to prison because you have um, not furnished the identity of uh, the person who sent you over $10,000 of value. In that case, that would obviously be tried in court, and it's pretty clear it'd be unconstitutional. Um, and that's an, just an important point that one, this hasn't even been passed. It may be passed by the time we're done recording this, but one, it hasn't even been passed. Two, once a law becomes a law, there's all these ambiguities to the law. What does something something mean so in a trade or business are you a crypto trader house 69k i mean you've got um full-time employment consulting work with uh you know badger dow um but a lot of your economic activity centers around crypto trading and you're doing foot guns and so what is your what do you do for a living and um so trade or business, that's a very amb ambiguous term. And then digital assets is also an ambiguous term. Um, somebody's going to have to actually go and define what digital assets are and aren't. And unfortunately, uh, what Congress usually does is there's debate surrounding these, this bill. And so when a court looks to interpret the law, they go back and they look at what's called the legislative intent and they go, read the floor debate on this particular bill's provision. But the sort of last minute nature of it means there hasn't been any floor debate on this. So it's going to be very hard for a court to find out what exactly they were trying to do. Now, if you want to take a conspiratorial approach, if you want to say someone is out to get someone, right? It's really hard for me to see that the United States government has as its intent to, again, we're going to have to create, I don't know, prisons to house 5 million people, <laughs> 5 million people who can't identify um, the people who sent them their $10,000 stuff. Uh, I don't think that's what Cong anyone ever really intends. So, I'm not on that conspiracy bandwagon of, well, you know, it's just government intrusion, Nazi, blah, 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 whatever. I'm not, I'm not there. If I want to go conspiratorial on this, I would point to that provision that says, unless that information is already being collected by a, a federally regulated financial institution. If I was going to go conspiracy on this, I would say, what is the number one thing that a lobbyist for existing financial, established financial institutions would like to do? He would like you to be a customer of his bank. And if you 
are a customer of his bank, and this law is in is in um, is in more. Uh, this law is, you know, enacted. Then there's going to be a large incentive for you to do your your DeFi stuff through a financially recognized institution because you don't know who's on the other side of the trade. Does that make sense? So if there's a conspiracy, if I want to find a conspiracy here, it would be big finance, let's call it. Not like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, but like commercial bankers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I um, There was a bank that opened up. And the you know I bank in the town that my mom uh, lives in because I'm down here in the Caribbean and so um, there was a bank that opened up my town they like send me an email and they're like give us a call we want to uh, get to know you and I asked them if um, they would let me store my crypto in their bank and they said like you know sort of like haha we we we're not going to do that and I was like okay cool well <laughs> I guess I'll see you later <laughs> like I'm I'm you know I would if if the banks like the commercial banks like prove to me that they know what crypto is and they know how to store it and they like understand the value proposition then like i would happily uh move it over to a bank that do you think i really want to like take on all this like custody risk like of, of an asset that's like going up this much in value like every day yeah absolutely and so so the, the um there is sort of a billion dollar opportunity here if if again here again bill has to be passed it has to be enforced it has to pass a court, and a court is going to look at this, and they're going to be like, "Did Congress really intend to put like eight million people in jail? Like, what is what is the government's interest in all of this?" I think they're going to right. conclude no. They're going to conclude no. Um, and so, uh, but there is sort of a business opportunity here, which is it's a rather large one if you stop and think about it. What if before the bill went into action, you provided a on blockchain? way to to satisfy this 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 new requirement um and you know you you just basically served as a um uh an intermediary third party that takes a small fee for being the recipient of this this sort of information in other words all you are is a kyc function you Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, no you're, you're, you're trying to, I mean, it's kind of what the pandemic did to, uh, to everyone, right? You like, you forced every business to become a biological warfare machine, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, it would just be interesting if you had a financial institution that carried on no real financial transactions, but its only purpose was KYC. Yeah. You, you uh, know what I mean? Customer, which, something like that uh, is certainly going to show up in DeFi for sure. Somebody's going to try and make something like that. Yeah. But I think, I think given, given the fact that, and we talked about this, uh, talked about this with old uh, Wasabi on his podcast, that given the, um, you know, I, I just don't, what, what are a bunch of Congress people doing wandering around being like, wow, let's go break a bunch of prisons. And that's the weirdest part about this is the felony component. It's very vague. The, the, the language is almost what's called facially invalid. When you pass a law that's so vague, it's, it's not even clear, like what it is then courts will just look at that and say it's facially invalid. I mean, I, I can't even read this. Like, it's like, you know, 
doesn't apply to it's unclear who it applies to it just doesn't there's no real reason for it etc um and then they throw it out so i think that'll be the net sum of this is that if it does there's also something here going on here too which is um i think this is in what's called the the bip which is the bipartisan infrastructure plan and that has been passed by the senate and the House has got the... Wait, what's it called? It? What, you said it's called a BIP? The BIP. The BIP. It's, it's funny because all, every, uh, all, you know, in, in the DAOs, what we have to do to pass, like, changes and stuff, we have what we called Badger Improvement Proposals. So everything we do is a BIP. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a similar thing. It's a, a bipartisan infrastructure proposal. And so that's the one that's passed um, the Senate, but it's not passed the House because progressives want to get more money and they're protesting by not passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill and insisting on this other spending measure, which is called reconciliation. Now reconciliation is this weird, you know, uh, truth is stranger than fiction uh, process whereby basically the rules of order, parliamentary procedure that exists in the federal legislative bodies it's sort of suspended, and um, in order to do that, you have to have any new spending in a reconciliation bill, because things have to pass the Senate with a 60-vote majority. In order to waive that 60-vote majority and include spending, according to the par- parliamentarian of the Senate, which this all has to get run by through, and that's a nonpartisan gig, um, the bill has to be um economically at least economically neutral so in order to get the bill passed you have to show the parliamentarian that it'll be revenue neutral that it will not you know increase the amount of uh of debt deficit etc i think that's one other possibility here which is that they've included like this bill this whole billionaire tax thing where they want to tax People who are, you know, worth over a billion, even on illiquid assets, which gets kind of weird because we have a takings clause in the United States Constitution. Um, the government just can't come take your stuff. Um, and so 100 percent, the inclusion of that billionaire tax, while politically popular, will not pass Supreme Court challenge. And they know that. But they're just trying to demonstrate that it's revenue neutral so they can get it past the parliamentarian in the Senate. In the Senate. And so I think that's probably there's a little bit um, going on of that probably going on here. But I'll tell you, the, the commentators do do make a good point. Why why put a weird felony provision in here? I mean, this is the kind of thing where if you go down and, um, you know, you do uh, uh, something where. It's above $10,000 in normal world or whatever. you got to fill out Form 8385. Forget what it is. Just go buy a car in cash. You'll figure it out. And um, that guy who sells you the car has to use, quote, unquote, best efforts to determine your identity. But his best efforts are like, best efforts are pretty not best efforts. They're like. Well, I asked him, he said he didn't want to tell me, and so I'm not going to jail for not knowing this. <laughs> and right, so, right. 
Yeah, so it's the owner. The owner. The onus is not really that hard. It could also be a broad, you know, given the breadth of it, it could be a tool for, um, like like mail fraud, wire fraud, uh, which is very broad, and they only use it in order to federally prosecute people who've committed fraud, which is also punishable in the state. But, you know, it's like got real problems, like it's an ongoing real problem across a class of people, old people being taken for a ride, whatever. They'll use mail fraud. Mail fraud is an extremely broad statute, it includes going appearing on radio and falsely inducing people into making an eco- economic transaction or something. But it, it, it carries a huge prison penalty time. I mean. You get on each count of mail fraud, it's you know up to 20 years in prison, and so uh, that may be what this is, in the sense that if anyone had any intent to criminalize this activity, it would be around somebody exchanging um, an NFT of you know this value X value. Um, to buy a house in lieu of cash to avoid tax reporting requirements. And why the government's interested in that is not necessarily they're looking for tax cheats. They're looking for shady people who have a bunch of cash sitting around, so much cash that they can't store it in banks. So this is where the whole, you know, money laundering, quote-unquote, thing comes in and crypto, or the perception that it's good for money laundering, which it's not. Um, although Monero is making a real try to be sort of the, the money laundering thing. But you could see a way where someone creates an NFT um, and they've got a bunch of money from illicit activities and they start running around buying stuff with their with their NFT of a, a CryptoPunk. And they're cocaine dealers, they're bad people, they're money launderers, they're organized crime, you know, whatever it is. And... Um, so that's the that's the purpose of this. If you exclude the the new digital assets provision, and again, I think there may be some attempt to get past the parla- parliamentarian here. If you are personally um, afraid that you're going to be put in jail because you don't know and you're not reporting the IRS who's sending you your do- your Dogecoin. Um, via you know a decentralized protocol, then I would not lose any sleep. I, I just I, I don't believe, and I you know I, I didn't believe a lot of things have been proven sort of to be things that you wouldn't think have happened over the last sort of five years. But um, I don't think Congress had its intent, and if it did, this will be absolutely unconstitutional to put possibly 7 million people in mass incarceration through a eight words and a spending bill <laughs> like right yeah well I, but doesn't it doesn't wouldn't this make you criminally bullish on bitcoin or defi right <laughs> like isn't it isn't it just um like justifying the idea that like the idea is so powerful that they're like afraid of it and they don't really know what to do exactly so they're just like oh let's just shut it down no, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think this is a shut it down piece of legislation. Because if you want to shut it down, that'd be easy enough to do. You just get a bunch of people. First of all, the government's not very good at doing much. A lot of people watch that show, The House of Cards. 
with Kevin Spacey in it. Like, I feel like a whole generation of people watch that show, and they think that that's the way Washington works, that, you know, everybody's got a plan, and everybody's working behind the scenes to make that plan better and, and improve their position in politics and all this other kind of – it's a mess. It's a mess. The Democrats have a majority – it's a 50% Senate, but the vice president being the tie-breaking vote is a Democrat, and they can't pass anything. They can't pass anything. Yeah, it's pretty. So, it's pretty incredible. So, the, so, so, so the idea that the idea that a hundred senators would get together, or even fifty, and be like, "Well, let's 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 we need to shut shut down shut down DeFi because we're worried it's going to quote unquote challenge the dollar." Well, good luck with that because here again, all things in crypto, unless you really get out on the weird, not weird, 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 but the maxi. The not Bitcoin maxi, but the other just sort of DeFi maxi space is that all crypto tracks back to the reason why people are working so hard in DeFi projects is because they're measured in US dollars, right? So, um, I think that this shows what it really shows is that nobody, and I mentioned this to Wasabi on, on the podcast. You know, as a Democrat, as a lefty, I'm just, I guess now, at the point of being stunned um, that, you know, that this DeFi is a democratic movement that has economic features associated with it. It is not an economic movement that has implications for democracy. Yeah, I think maybe that's what... Uh, is keeping a big part of the crowd out is they're like they've they've been trained that like um, anything that has money attached to it like must be evil and so then you know they like don't believe you and you're like yeah you should go try out DeFi it's like democracy forming on the internet and then they're like yeah but you know all these cryptos are just going to go up and come back down and the prices are moving around you know it's just like okay well I get it I, it, it certainly is. Um, um, overwhelming from from someone that's just yeah, looking at it for the first time. Absolutely, and I, I think I think I think you look at somebody like Senator Elizabeth Warren, who could not be more liberal, and you think to yourself, what is she for? What is her, her stated policy goals? She is for consumer advocacy and and all of that, but she's also for. Uh, I mean, this is her stated stuff. Um, she's also very concerned about the fact, as is Gary Gensler, that 7 billion people around the world, and including a lot of people in this country, don't have access to banking. I mean, banks banks have been one of the biggest tools of discrimination, racial, um, same-sex, marriage, whatever. Banks and financial institutions, although they claim, again, they claim it's the government that made you do it, but the whole banking culture is very conservative. The kind of people who are commercial bankers are very like, you know, spend ninety thousand dollars on a Tahoe. They are fine, you know, making between one and two hundred thousand dollars a year just as long as they don't have to work enough. Anyway, my point is is that um, if it's Elizabeth Warren's stated policy goals to expand democracy and to bank the unbanked then she would be absolutely advocate, not just... Yeah, it seems like that she should be uh, attending the sushi swap meetings. 
Yeah, she. And, and, and this, this is this is this is what's killing me right now. It's that. Yeah, that's funny couple... too, right? Like, why is why the U the U the leaders of the all the countries, right? Why aren't they going into like any of these DAO meetings and trying to? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. know. I know. I've, I've read a series of articles on another platform, and it's ongoing or whatever. But, um, and one of them, you know, starts out sort of. It's a little attacking the Bitcoin Maxi people for being like, you know, there's only one solution. And I see, you know, the rise of autocrats as being there's only one solution. It's this guy or this this way of thinking. Um, and that applies to the left and to the right. Um, but it's, it's like now we've got, if you look at the numbers, you break this down by the numbers. So we know 10% of the people spent their Biden-Trump bucks on... Um, crypto, right? And now there's some stuff about 4% of people quit their job do so because cryptocurrency and their average gain is $50,000. It's tweeted out by Mark Cuban, so it's suspect. I don't know. Um, but uh, you've got potentially, you know, 8 million people for whom crypto is on the ballot. And it's not even a question being asked by pollsters. 7 right. million voters. Yeah. 7 million voters and it's probably more it's probably more like 20 million and people say you know voters vote their pocketbook well you know it's going to be awfully easy if you're you've got 20 if you're a pretty if you're a low income person and you got half you you know yellowed during the pandemic on your unemployment benefits and you put a lot of your money in uh, crypto that may be your number one voting issue in the next election and if the only people talking to those people are Bitcoin, 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 let's go to Texas, um, if they're the Dan Held people in the world, then that's going to be – they're going to vote to the right. And the saddest part – this is one of the biggest frustrations of being a liberal over the last you know, 70 years or whatever. I'm not 70, but just like looking back is that a lot of the policies that, that we believe in – are supposed to help people who work at like Taco Bell, you know, and give them better wages and make, you know, demand Taco Bell, give them health insurance, all this other kind of stuff. That's happening ironically, naturally because of labor shortage and the pandemic sort of, it took a pandemic to sort of do that. But, um, but here we go. I mean, this is, this is our stuff. I mean, DeFi and Ron Wyden gets it. The Senator from, from, from Oregon, but in Oregon, it sort of has two realities. Like we talked about last time, it's got redneck side and Portland side. But it's a pretty liberal state, altogether, all things considered. So why does Ron, why does Ron Wyden get it and Elizabeth Warren doesn't? And why, why, what is wrong with these people? And I, I think the answer is just they're st they're still stuck. Um, this happens with a lot of new technologies. It happened with the internet. I mean, it took a little bit. A little while to create that. Yeah, it's a, it's that um you you have to go through those like pain points where you're like, is this just you know speculative fervor and and a bunch of um you know but here's, uh, flashy but, lights or whatever. And sorry to interrupt you, but this is the thing: is that the pain point where Elizabeth Warren and her ilk realize they're wrong is when they lose an election, but they don't know it was because of crypto. Right, right. Yeah, they, they think they think they didn't go hard enough on um, uh, environmental issues or something. They're like, we should have pushed harder against Bitcoin. Absolutely, absolutely. And so they, they, you know, 
the 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 thing on the Sherman Show podcast where the anti money laundering guy was he was at a conference with institutional investors and he asked everybody in the room to raise their hand do you own cryptocurrency it was a fancy dinner and no one raised their hand but the, the entire wait staff the people you know doing the dinner raised their hands and yep. the core supposedly at least i thought so the core constituency of the left left leaning center left whatever democratic party are the people working the dinner not the people at the dinner so if you're going to yep. take yep. actions if so if you're going to take actions to hurt the people who are working the dinner and you're going to be pals with the people who are at the dinner i got bad news for you you're going to lose in both accounts because the people at the dinner are probably pretty right leaning they're already set in their republicanism and the people the wait staff are going to either not vote or vote with the people at the dinner party. So it is one of the biggest under discussed, I think it's probably the most under discussed. I mean, there's all these after in the wake of the Virginia elections we talked about last time about, I told you this would happen. People will be like, Oh, what does all this mean? I don't know. We had an election in Virginia, but you know, all this commentary about how, wow, it was a, you know, 16 point swing uh, in Virginia, bad news for Biden, blah, 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 blah. And nobody's mentioned cryptocurrency. Nobody's nobody's even talking about it. Nobody's talking about crypto voters. So it's just a huge blind spot where if someone can insert this language, which, again, I don't believe that there are on either party. You know, you've got some extremists on on, on both sides. I think some, the, the more threatening ones tend to be on the right side at the moment could go the other way in the future. But if, I think if anybody thinks that, you know, you run for Congress and you pay in the ass, you don't get paid as much money as you could by being a lobbyist. And you go up to D.C. and your whole goal is to put three million, not three million, probably like 20 million people in prison for five years. That's not why you go to Congress. And so I don't believe the Congress would do that. And so it's like. If anything, it just shows a lack of understanding of what decentralized finance is. Now, I will say this one other thing. I think everyone needs to – this is this is financial advice. Take it to the bank. Sue my ass. If you do have a gain on an asset, and I think there are going to be a number of people who – this is where the IRS is going to actually kind of kick in. Um, and it's not going to be good. Again, they, they're very bad at enforcement. They're, they're not good at collecting the money. You know, the, big, the, the IRS is scary, but they leave a lot on the table. Um, and uh, so enforcement's sort of an issue. But if you have a gain of, say, you know, you own some Badger Dow, and that goes up 50%, and you swap it into USD, and then you have a you, – you, I think you need to recognize the gain at that that particular time and you're going to owe the government in dollars. Like you can't just be like, no, 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 no. I took my, my Badger Dow and I exchanged it for uh, USDC. That's not the dollar. So I don't know taxes on that. I think, I think that is going to be an issue. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, but, I, but it's not, no, no, no. Um, and that's the, the, the thing about the working council on stable coins and what the Treasury Department seems to be addressing, if you look at that and their conclusions of the study group or whatever it was, 
they're focused primarily on stable coins for payments. They're not really even focused on stable coins as a means of, you know, parking your instead of taking yourself. And again, here's where I blame Brian Coinface because he's such a fucking dickhole and the fees are so fucking high is that in order to sort of get back to USD, the dollars, you have to pay a tax to a private individual uh, Coinbase. You know, you got to take your stuff and put it back somewhere into an account where you can put it put it back into your bank account. I mean, unless I'm wrong, SushiSwap does not take ACH. Does SushiSwap take ACH? No, no. But uh, I don't know. There's this uh, this talk about Trident, their new sort of secret thing that they're about to release. We'll see what happens. Well, here's here's here, the next the next biggest thing in crypto in my mind. We can't go on. This bill is yet further proof. And here's sort of the actionable item, I guess, which is um, maybe you have some thoughts about existing um, DAOs I don't know about. But to me, this just is one more screaming in your face, not even giving you not giving you six feet, not even giving you three feet screaming in your face. Um issue around interoperability and how that's just a huge yeah problem. yeah it's it's why everyone keeps pushing back anytime uh congress tries to do something to like censor the internet because it's just like all you're going to do is make it harder for us to write code <laughs> yeah or, but it's just it's you got to have the interoperability you have to be able to get you're, you're creating a monopolistic power for brian coinface if you're going to lose 2% on the entry point and the exit point anytime you want to go back to U.S. dollars to pay your taxes. So your tax rate is effectively going up 4% um, regard, in, in addition to whatever or either ordinary income treatment, maybe it's the highest level, and then your state taxes and all that shit. Coinbase is a private gov- government, essentially, which collects a tax for you to be able to play in DeFi, that's why I hate it so much. If they, if I think, this, I, think not- um, I think there's going to be competition. Like the mar- there's that's one of those things that like the free market thing's got to solve that, right? The the I don't some, think so. You don't think so? No, I don't. I'll tell you. I think why. if FTX like launches a better product and gives you a an ACH transfer, then with cheaper fees, like people will just go there. In, no. Um, SBF said that he's really not trying to compete with with Coinbase. I believe him, and he's got a lot of great, interesting products that Coinbase doesn't offer. I mean, you can trade, you know, you can trade. It's going to be, um, it's going to rain tomorrow because, and some Bitcoin's going to go down long sh- versus sunny day tomorrow. Short of, th- I mean, he's got so many different sort of products. Now, I think that there would be, there would be, and I don't know, tell me how you do this. The most valuable coin you could ever imagine right now, um, or DAP or whatever, would just be a very simple thing, which just allows you to go from, and you've got you know your bank account, and it's a bridge to 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 get into USDC and and your wallet, your MetaMask, whatever. That does not include a Coinbase choke point, so. If you just had a, a way, you're saying to yourself, okay, you're a DeFi guy, and you want to go into DeFi without paying Brian Coinface, 
um, tons of commissions, and just four, you lose 4% just by being involved with Coinbase. So if you want to stop that, and you, we'll just charge you 1% or whatever, that's that's the billion that's the that's the billion trillion dollar idea and that the challenge for that is scale. So when you start custodying, anytime you take custody of assets, um, that's where you need a headcount of employees, of a general counsel, of a guy who is a former regulator of the SEC, of government relations, all this other kind of stuff, all the things that normal companies have to have. Um, you then have to sort of implement. And I think that, that that's the billion-dollar idea. And that's why I think, too, a lot of people also who are nervous Nellies, I'd say the majority of crypto participants are not as comfortable out on a limb as you are because you understand the integrity of the blockchain. But I think that uh, a lot of people view, oh, well, if it's in Coinbase, you know, it's not going to be totally screwed. If all roads lead back to Brian Coinface, then, you know, that's a publicly traded company. They're not going to just run off with all the money. By the way, nobody thought Enron was going to run off with all the money. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot so, of money. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, just, just the fact that they're, you know, backed by a venture capital fund and publicly traded and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean they just can't just run off with all your money or be like, you know, back to the point of the, the Binance flash crash or whatever. I mean, this is here again. This is a guy who was like, we don't need to have an office in the crypto world. Well, the same guy who doesn't want to have back office, mid office and customer relations support um, and can operate from anywhere. Well, it, I don't think it was a mistake. I mean, putting that statement next to the flash crash to 8000 Bitcoin doesn't make you look really good. So anyway, that's. To sum up on regulation, no, they are not going to come knocking at your door um, because the bill hasn't even passed. Two, the bill is unconstitutional, facially invalid. Three, um, the motivations are incredibly unclear. Four, neither political party, um, only in a limited way, have Republicans kind of gone after Bitcoin maxis, but neither of the political parties are targeting DeFi people, and that's a huge mistake. Huge mistake for both, regardless of where, which, which party you're in, that's a huge mistake for your party. You're not targeting these people. Yeah, yeah. What if we made, um, but it's we made like a especially huge mistake DAO. for your party. Politi- given political that, action you know, committee the DAO, staff. and we just like we go after uh, yeah, all of the, the staff <laughs> lobby issue. everybody so, across the um, world. <laughs> right, right. So um, let's just you know keep it there. We've run a little bit long. It's forty-eight minutes, and uh, unless you got anything else for. You want to talk about how? No, I mean, we could talk about crypto for like 20 hours. So, yeah, I'll see you again next time. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Guys, you're not going to jail yet, but we'll definitely um, stay tuned uh, as to where this is headed. Um, And we'll, you know, update. But we will not be on the bleeding edge tweeting about this stuff, like retweeting people when we fully haven't read it. You know, we're, in other words, foot guns likes to be a breaking news thing for crypto. That's why we're here. But we're not going to be breaking any news on this in the sense that a lot of times before people retweet stuff that's just not true. And it's just 
overly pessimistic and not well thought out. And so we'll have another podcast and reconvene after the bill gets passed. Um, if it does get passed, we will have another immediate podcast in response to that. And um, we'll talk about what it might mean at that point. So keep defying and we'll be back later next week and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>